We're on the precipice of the greatest retirement crisis in the history of the world, warns pension expert Ted Seidel. The average U.S. public pension is 30% underfunded. Though reality is much worse than that when you dig into the books behind these funds, Ted says. So when, not if, but when, these funds start failing, what is that going to mean for the millions of Americans who are depending upon these funds for paying their retirement? And what kind of havoc is this cascade of failure going to wreak across the financial markets? State and local pensions are 30% underfunded or only 70% funded. Mismanagement, excessive fees is the direct cause of that underfunding. It's not a question of there not being enough money put into these pensions. It's not a question of the pension benefits being too rich. It's a question of mismanagement, which is excessive fees and other forms of malfeasance. Welcome, I'm Adam Taggart, founder of Wealthion. Today's video is an interview I recorded back in November of last year on the topic of the looming pension crisis. While the recent stimulus packages may have placed a small temporary band-aid on the issue, in many ways they've also contributed to making the risks now loom larger than ever. So if you're not up to speed on just how precarious things are, you really need to watch this video. Oh, but before we get started, please just take a moment and subscribe to this YouTube channel by clicking on the red subscribe button below. Okay, with that done, let's get straight to our interview with pension expert Ted Seidel. Uh, we're very fortunate to be joined by this week's guest, Ted Seidel, who is an expert on pensions and a very outspoken um, uh, authority warning about the looming pension crisis. Ted is a former SEC attorney. His current firm, Benchmark Financial Services, uh, has pioneered over $1 trillion in forensic investigations into the money management industry with a specific focus on pensions. Um, Ted has uh, testified before the Senate Banking Committee in Congress on pension-related issues, as well as uh, Madoff-related other fraud. Um, in 2017, Ted secured the largest SEC whistleblower award in history at the time of $48 million. Uh, the following year, he was then awarded the largest uh, CFTC whistleblowing award at $30 million. So he's done uh, you know, a, a huge amount of work already in surfacing a lot of the issues in the pension industry. Ted, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Adam. Hey, you're very welcome. Look, I, I want to pick up um, kind of right where we left off the last time we interviewed you, which was back earlier in 2019. Uh, you had said the following, and I'm going to read it here. Um, you said, we are on the precipice of the greatest retirement crisis in the history of the world. And that makes perfect sense because, first of all, we have the largest elderly population in the history of the world. Just focusing on the U.S., our elderly are woefully unprepared to retire. And in the, in the decades to come, we will witness millions of elderly Americans, baby boomers, and others slipping into poverty. Too frail to work, too poor to retire will become the new normal for many elderly Americans. So my question here for you, Ted, is what impact, if any, has the pandemic here in 2020 had on potentially making the situation worse? Well, it certainly hasn't helped. Let's put it that way. But as you said, Adam, we are approaching uh, a point where we will have over 2 billion people on this planet over the age of 60. And so the, the number of elderly is skyrocketing. 
And the, only a very small minority of these people have enough personal savings set aside to survive potentially decades of retirement. Um, the, and then with COVID, we have, of course, a massive, broad impact on the financial markets because so much of what we're accustomed to doing, people are, not, are no longer doing. And um, travel, hotels, things like that. So it has, it's having a very dramatic impact. And you know, there are um, uh, over, I, I guess over the employment of by state and local governments in this country employ about 13% of the, the total workforce. And they represent about 9% of, of GDP. And state and local governments are hurting badly. Uh, state reven tax revenues are down, uh, fees, taxes, expenses are all down. So that, that's really hurting uh, the state and local governments and the um, expenses related to the pandemic, of course, are, are new and unprecedented, yes. So it's having a profound impact on, on uh, state and local governments in particular and their pensions and then the markets generally it's having a very broad impact all right well let's let's roll up our sleeves here and dig into the pension situation so um you know you have been on record uh warning about the poor condition that many uh of, of the u.s pensions are in um and uh so sort of two questions for you um one can you just give us sort of your general assessment of, of what the current threat level is? You know, are we at DEFCON, you know, one already? Um, and then also uh, just walk real quickly through sort of the economics of how uh, the re pensions returns work. In other words, when, when you were on the last time we chatted, you basically said, look, there's sort of three factors that matter in terms of how a pension performs. There's the amount of money you put in, there's the amount of money that you pull out, and there's what you do with that money while it's being managed in the interim. And I think people tend to be real focused on the first two things. Asking the question is, hey, have we put too little in or are we taking too much out? But people don't really seem to, to give as much focus on what's happening while it's there. And, and you seem to say that, hey, that actually is one of the biggest issues that's, that's going on currently in this is that they're being so poorly mismanaged that uh, <laughs> even if the math kind of worked in theory, in terms of we're gonna put X in, we're gonna take Y out, uh, the returns that that money is getting in the interim are really putting all that in jeopardy. Is that true too? That's absolutely absolutely true. And uh, by the way, this is a lot of this is in my book uh, that I wrote with Robert Kiyosaki, your friend, uh, which is called uh, Who Stole My Pension? And Great. What, hey, hold that up a little bit higher so everyone can uh, see, there you go. And what I talked about is that there are yeah, three elements to the health of a pension, three main drivers. One is how much money goes in. One is uh, how the money that's in the pension gets managed. And then the third is how much money is paid out in the form of benefits. Obviously, COVID is going to impact on how much money state governments can afford, state and local governments can afford to pay in to the pension because their tax revenues are down and their expenses related to COVID are way up. Um, the, and how much money is paid out in the form of benefits is, is something that's, that's highly controversial and often discussed as well. 
But the one thing that everybody pays neglects is how the money is managed over time. The management of the investments in the pension over a 30 year period of time is based on my forensic work, the leading cause of pension failures, the leading cause of the fact that today, state and local pensions, for example, are on average 70% funded. So if you look at what is the impact of um, poor management of investments, excessive fees, let's say excessive fees to the tune of 2% a year over a uh, extended period, 25 year period, that's going to reduce your profits, your, your, your return by 40% over the 25 year period. Wow. So pensions, state and local pensions are 30% underfunded or only 70% funded. Mismanagement, excessive fees is the direct cause of that underfunding. It's not a question of there not being enough money put into these pensions. It's not a question of the pension benefits being too rich. It's a question of mismanagement, which is excessive fees and other forms of malfeasance. All right. Um, and when we talk about mismanagement, um, is, it, is it more sort of um, fraud or is it more sort of, uh, you know, people who just shouldn't be managing funds or managing them? You know, I, I know in certain cases uh, I've seen reports of like policemen funds or teachers funds where you have guys that used to be beat cops that are now sitting on, on the board that's making the investment decision. And they might have been great policemen but they don't really have a lot of investing experience and they're making big, big decisions. So, you know, what would you say are the main reasons for that poor management? Well, one of the reasons you just cited is the fact that public pensions, state and local pensions around the country have no requirements that their board members have any educational credentials, have any expertise in finance. So all of these public pensions have cops, firefighters, school teachers, garbage collectors on their boards making profound investment decisions involving trillions of dollars. So it's an unequal fight at the get-go because you've got some of the savviest Wall Street snakes coming in to sell high-cost, high-risk investments to cops and firefighters who really are not equipped to get into a, a due diligence and a, and a negotiation with some of Wall Street's finest. That's a big problem. And then there's, you know, one of the big issues, which, which you're well familiar with is, is the, the zero interest rates. So as interest rates have been artificially kept down as the government, federal government, you know, state and local governments can't print money. They have to balance their budgets. The federal government can print money all day long. And so what the state and local governments do have been doing is because interest rates are so low, they've been migrating to riskier investments to make hopefully better returns. And riskier investments always involve higher costs. So that's a, that is a, another major problem is that the cops and firefighters sitting on these trillions in pension assets are being persuaded, convinced that because of zero interest rates, They've got to get into riskier investments. And Wall Street has a solution to every investment problem, which is always pay us more in fees. 
<laughs> right, right. Um, so I, I want to dig more into the zero interest rates because um, I think it really is a, a major dynamic going on here where it, it's kind of putting both a carrot and a stick on the folks that are managing these pensions, right? So, um, you know, these pensions are supposed to be somewhat, you know, I mean, there's not even somewhat, they're supposed to be conservatively managed, right? You don't want to be rolling the dice with, uh, you know, teachers' retirement funds. Um, but the, the, and that generally means being conservative is that you're in, um, you know, a lot of bonds and things like that. But because the, the yields on those bonds have been driven down to historic lows, there's not nearly enough yield there for the pension managers to get um, what they need to actuarially to, to keep the, um, the pension uh, solvent. Uh, and so to your point, they're getting forced out to chase yield, right? So they're, they're getting into these, um, you know, they're getting into these uh, investment vehicles that, that really they've got no business being in. They, they add way too much risk into the uh, into the portfolio, and they add way too much cost, as you were saying. They're they're really just enriching the bankers in the process here. Um, and, and my guess is, and correct me if I'm wrong, my guess is they can kind of they can kind of validate the pension managers can kind of validate this as the the prices of the bonds in their portfolio and the prices of you know these other instruments they're investing in continue to go up. Um, because we've been in this extremely prolonged, you know, bull market, many people would argue is a is a bubble at this point, an asset bubble. Um, but my guess is, is that if we do have a major contraction, and we got a, a short, very brief preview of this back in, in uh, February and March, um, my sense is if we went through another correction like that, I mean, you would have some of these pension funds not being 30% underfunded, but maybe going to like 60 or 75% underfunded. Is, is that a correct assumption given how far into the risk spectrum they're investing now? Yeah, I mean, there was a time, many people think that pension funds still are conservative investors that are primarily in bonds, safe, you know, conservative bonds. And there was a time when that was true. That time ended long ago. I remember, I think it was around 1990, Indiana was the last state pension to approve equities, the introduction of equities into the pension fund. So that's 1990, not that long ago. So, but today the, the percentage of pension assets invested in safe fixed income investments is minuscule, probably 10%. So it's been flipped. The whole equation has been flipped where 90% of the investments have equity-like risk or exponentially greater equity risk in terms of hedge funds, uh, private equity, venture funds, and other types of, of exotic vehicles. So it's, it's a very risky, these portfolios are very risky today. All right. And I just want to ask you to repeat that again. Did you say that it's flipped so much that really only about 10% on average is invested in quote unquote conservative investments and the rest is in the sort of higher risk profile? The, the rest, yeah. So only about 10% is in a conservative type, fixed income type investment. And the rest would be in that either have equity market risk or even greater risk because they're privately held illiquid right. uh, investments. So that are not, by the way, uh, readily valuable. They, they are all a great, over 50% of the portfolios in many cases are hard to value assets. All right, and uh, when we talked previously, you know, a little over a year ago, you gave a couple of horror stories on those hard to value assets. Um, 
that that you know a lot of these boards kind of fall victim to uh, somebody in their local area, you know, coming up and saying, "Hey, we the city is going to put in the stadium here. We need money for it, and the pensions, the kind of dumb money that that invests big into that, and then you know those those are very risky investments that that don't often pan out, right? And then the pensions left holding the bag. So um, where I'm going with this is, you know, l l let's say there is a big correction, right? Um, uh, I'll just pick a number, but let's say the market corrects by 30% or more, right? Um, just what, what's your vision of, of, of the impact that that's going to have? I mean, is that, are, we, are we talking Armageddon here? And what, what, happens, what happens to the greater markets when, when a pension fails? Because it's not just going to impact the people that are the pension holders, right? I mean, th these are big whales in the marketplace that if their capital kind of dries up, uh, it impacts all sorts of other investment types. Is that correct? Absolutely. And one of the things your listeners need to realize is that when pension funds around the country say, when we say that pension funds are 70% funded, that is based upon an investment return assumption of seven, seven and a half to 8%. So if that, that assumes that the pension is over time going to earn seven to 8%. But well, of course, they, they, they don't earn that amount historically. So if you, if you take down the investment assumption 1%, then the pension fund is significantly less funded than if you say, if you project that they're going to make 8% a year, they're 70% funded. If you project they're going to make 7% a year, then suddenly they're 60% or 55% funded. So the investment return assumptions pensions almost universally have today are actually masking a deeper problem. The pensions are less funded than you would think. And if you have a significant downturn, they would be even, they will fall even more to where they're going to south of 50%. And, but the other thing that these high risk, uh, hedge fund and private equity, opaque, non-transparent, non-marketable investments have, the other feature is that they don't mark them to market. So if the market were to fall 30% tomorrow, a lot of these investments would not be marked down for perhaps a year or two or more. Some of these investments can be extended to as long as 50 years. So that they the high risk secretive investments give cover to pension funds that don't want to show immediate losses. Right. So you're basically saying we can be sort of auditing these companies and on paper, they look like they're 60, 70% funded or whatever. But if they're made up by a, by a large proportion of these assets uh, that don't have to be marked to market regularly that haven't performed well, uh, sure on paper, it looks okay, but in actuality, there may be a lot less money to make those pension payments than, than we might realize. Yes. And so the, 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 there are a lot of um, faults in the system right now. And if we had a, a, another significant downturn, uh, it would reveal a lot, of the, a lot of the people that are using bogus values and using bogus investment return assumptions. All right. Well, I, I, I want to bring you in real quickly, Mike, just for a sec, um, because I know that you know, in past uh, 
interviews that we've done over the previous weeks and months, you and, and your partner, John, have done a great job of surfacing lots of charts from folks like John Hussman and other analysts who have basically crunched the numbers and said, we have had such an extended bull run that we really have pulled in uh, all the future returns for the next decade. And that looking out with their models, the average you know, likely return is either zero or at this point negative. So to, to Ted's point, you know, if the husbands of the worlds are right, um, you know, these funding ratios are going to take a big beating, uh, you know, even if there's just no appreciation, right? And then, of course, to your point, Ted, if we end up getting a correction in there too, it just multiplies the carnage, right? So, John, uh, Mike, did you want to say anything else or ask anything else on, on, on that point of, uh, you know, projected market returns in this environment? Yeah, um, you mentioned John Hussman. He's somebody that we admire a lot. He does great work, and, and we think more than anybody, he puts out data that's pretty statistically reliable and kind of takes the emotion out of, uh, or at least takes some of the emotion out of investing. He came out with a piece the other day that showed the lowest projected expected return over the next 12 years for a balanced portfolio, a typical 60-40 portfolio, which you might say is could be somewhat analogous to you know, a pension, uh, a pension investment portfolio. Although I, I, I do agree with Ted, there's a lot of what they have in there is pretty opaque and non-traded stuff, stuff that's not marked to market. But even be that as it may, if a 60-40 portfolio is going to expect a minus one and a half percent annual return nominal over the next 12 years, and that's the number that John Hussman put out, it's going to be a disaster. I, mean, I can't imagine how underfunded pensions would be if we even had a 0% expected return over the next decade. And the numbers really show that. Other firms like uh, Jeremy Grantham's firm, GMO in Boston, they've got seven-year asset class forecasts, all of them basically negative. Certainly, large cap stocks are solidly negative expected return over the next seven years. So we're still living in the most overvalued point in U.S. history based on a number of different criteria. That's how we see it. This, the stock market, if you look at the S&P, has been trying to put in a, a top since January 2018. And, um, you know, there's at least eight individual blow-off tops that we've been tracking over the last three years. And every time the S&P tries to correct, there's a more um, profound response by central banks. And so it's created this complacency, this euphoria that is, it's, it's just hard to describe. You know, we talk to people all the time and, and uh you know, new people and existing clients, things like that. And they tell us about their advisors. The sentiment out there is that the market's bulletproof. The Fed is bulletproof. Nothing's going to happen. And who can blame them, I guess, for feeling that because nothing has happened yet. And it's frustrating for, for uh, you know, people like us that are continuing to cry wolf, if you will, and telling people to be cautious. But you know, expected returns in this market are, are solidly negative over the next decade that we don't know what the path looks like. It wouldn't be surprising to see markets drop 60 or 70%. I can only imagine what that would do to pensions. And I know that the typical response would be, well, the Fed's got that, don't worry about it. They'll just print another 10 or 20 trillion. We're putting all of our eggs in one basket. Like uh, your partner, Chris Martinson says, you know, this is, for the entire, this is for the whole bag of marbles. Everyone's all in here, it better work. And frankly, I don't think the central banks really have a plan for what to do if this doesn't work. So uh, we, we just keep spreading the word about caution and uh, we're very, very lightly exposed to stocks, essentially net zero exposed to stocks. And Ted, I'm, I love that you made that point about non-traded um, kind of uh, hard to understand investments. I, I really think a lot of operators in Wall Street get away with 
you know, maybe uh, doing things they shouldn't do because of the fact that in, in the long run, everything will be fine. And even if we have a downturn, these non-traded investments will get bailed out by a rising market. We really think that's changing over the next few years and caution is warranted. I'd love to hear from Ted what the solution is. I don't know what the solution is, what's going to happen to pensions if we have 0% returns over the next decade or even how to fix it. But those are just a, a few comments that I have. Off the top All right. Well, well let, let, let's start there. So Ted, Ted let's just assume that um, market returns for the next decade are not favorable. Um, and, you know, maybe there's a correction in there or so. So if, if you, we start having these, um, you know, pensions that are already sort of teetering on the brink, if they really start failing, paint for us what you think happens there. You know, what is the aftermath? Do, do they get bailed out by the states? Do they get bailed out by the federal government? Are the pensioners just going to be told to suck it up and receive lower payments? How do you sort of see this, what the domino effect is, if that indeed happens? Well, first, let me mention as uh, John said earlier, uh, 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 the question about questions about how private equity and venture and hedge fund managers calculate their returns are swirling. And most recently, Warren Buffett said that he he did not find it entirely honest the way many private equity firms were calculating their rates of return. So. We are not alone in this assessment that there are people who are not being entirely honest. And these opaque, hard to value assets is that's the place to hide uh, and, you know, manipulate returns is in these opaque classes. Uh, and on, on the pension side, you know, just ask yourself this. The average pension fund has an actuary. No, let me back up. Every pension fund has an actuary. The average actuarial rate of return on a, related to pensions is around 7%, let's say. How is it an entire industry, an entire actuarial industry has concluded throughout this nation, all of these pensions are going to return 10% a year. They all agree. There's no, there's no, you know, there's nobody saying what we're saying here. Oh no, it's not going to be 7%. It's 1%. No, they, they all are around six and a half to seven and a half percent. So, and they, they are providing legal opinions or actuarial opinions for all of these pensions. And if those opinions are wrong, if the industry, the actuarial industry has been complicit with the state and local governments and the corporations that are sponsoring these pensions to say to manipulate the rate of return and therefore require less money to be paid in that's a huge global problem and i i think the answer is they have been complicit uh and they are rarely but sometimes being sued for manipulating these investment assumptions but that's a, that's a huge problem. And so the solution is that today, people must get together and start examining these pensions forensically. Look at, not, there's not a pension fund in this country that reports the fees it pays truthfully. The chapter in our book is called, Your Pension is Lying About the Fees That It Pays. They all do. And to the tune of, in the case of Rhode Island, they were disclosing fees of 10 million, 
after a few months of examining the fees, the pension agreed with me that the fees were in fact 80 million. And within months- they, <laughs> Wow, that's yeah, a big difference. It's like eight times. Yeah, right. It's a big difference. So there has to be a, an investigation into these pensions immediately on what are the investments? What are the fees? What are the risks? What elimination of, of the secrecy is, you know, transparency should always be the rule when you're dealing with public monies, right? I think we all agree. We have a nation Freedom of Information Act laws, which say public money should be publicly accounted for. So these, these secret investments, non-transparency, that needs to, to be eliminated. And there needs to be a restructuring because things are going to get bad and the problems are known, but the people running these pensions and the Wall Street guys serving providing services to these pensions have no interest in solving the problem. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, look, um, the reason why I'm sort of tugging on this thread is twofold. The first is um, uh, back in April, uh, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, he basically said that he was in favor that states could use the bankruptcy rule to deal with underfunded public pensions. Um, and at least my sort of interpretation of that is it's sort of laying the ground for telling those pensioners that, hey, state's declaring bankruptcy on this and you're going to get, you know, pennies on the dollar of what you were promised. Um, are you foreseeing, you know, that happening with, with some of these more poorly mismanaged pensions? I think it's something that will be attempted. The first pension, U.S. pension to attempt bankruptcy Guess what it is? You'll never guess this in a million years. Saipan, the government of Saipan, which is a U.S. territory. and Never has would have guessed it. Never would have guessed it. About 10 years ago, they attempted to uh, declare bankruptcy and they went into litigation. And, uh, and I, I think ultimately they were unable to. But I think that more uh, state pensions will, and local pensions will look into the feasibility of bankruptcy. Uh, you know, again, the federal government can print money at will. So the states would like the federal government to print money to bail them out. The states can't print money. So unless there is that federal bailout, there's going to be or continuing federal funds going to the states. There's going to be a, a crisis. And I would say that any pension that is severely underfunded and has the legal ability to declare bankruptcy would certainly look into it. All right. So he, here's here's where I'm really interested, sort of in the if you if you game all this out, is um, obviously if if pensions started telling you know their pensioners, hey, we're going to give you a fifty cents or less on the dollar, you know, there's going to be a massive hue and outcry. Uh, no politician wants to be the one, you know, being involved in the decision that says that uh, teachers and doctors and firefighters are going to get shafted. Um, at the same time, you know, you said these states can't print money. So their only other alternative is taxation. Right. And so um, to me, it seems like we've got this really uh, predictable conflict brewing between those people who are on a pension and those people who aren't for as long as those pensions are being met in full. Um, and, if, it, it, you know, today, even 
if you're getting a pension of you know, 60, 70, $80,000, um, that's the equivalent of having tens of millions of dollars saved in the bank at today's incredibly low rates, right? Like the 10 year treasury is still below 1%, right? So if, if you're somebody who's worked in the private industry without a pension and you're responsible for having to you know, live off your own retirement savings, you can't really do it in today's environment. So the people that are on a pension are at a much greater advantage right now on a relative basis, right? So I think there's already some awakening, some dawning sense of resentment around that, which is like, hey, how come you get to retire in style while I've had to scrimp and save and I'm now getting screwed on that? Uh, and then of course you add higher taxes into the mix that's just gonna make that animosity even worse. And then to your point, if the government steps in, the federal government steps in and kind of prints money to make up the difference. Well, that inflation creates all sorts of um, exacerbations in the current wealth inequality that's going on in the country. It also flows into uh, you know, the cost of goods and services out there. So it just seems like there's this kind of perfect storm <laughs> brewing of these different uh, interests that I just see getting more and more strained as time goes on. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, I think so. But you know, one of the things that, that I keep trying to emphasize is if you look at the last 30 years of pensions, the issue has not been enough money going in to sustain the benefits. The money was going in. Unfortunately, it's been squandered every single year, year after year. And with compounding, it's resulted in significant uh, underfunding for, for all pensions, whether it's corporate pensions or uh, public pensions. But that's really... You know, it's ironic that the question has never been, is there enough money going into these pensions? The question has always been, how is that money being managed? And if we don't fix that uh, right away, then putting more money into a broken pension is only going to result in more squandering. So that's not, I always say that uh, you should investigate before you legislate or litigate or negotiate. So we need to investigate what has been causing these problems. It's quite clear to anybody who doesn't have a political agenda and fix it because putting any more money into a leaking bucket is just gonna result in, in more leakage. Makes so total sense. Now you said the word political agenda. How much optimism do you have that those will get addressed or do you, do you fear that the folks with the political agenda will be successful in continuing to thwart that until the system breaks at a point that they can't hide it anymore? Oh, absolutely. I think that there's, there's broad consensus among Wall Streeters and uh, politicians that we do not want to open this can of worms. So um, I think that things will continue to be, uh, they'll, be they'll continue to be this uh, complicity and mismanagement until things get so bad that they have to change. But it is, a, it is no one's interest to have these problems addressed prematurely. I, I've talked to the PBGC, our federal agency that ensures corporate pensions, which is about 50 something billion dollars in, in a deficit at this point. And of the, I've talked to them about a forensic investigation or an autopsy of all the thousands of dead pensions 
that have landed on its doorstep. And the PBGC said they had absolutely no interest in forensic investigations that oh, were potential mismanagement. All right. Yeah, thanks. That That is really depressing. Um, well, look, Ted, you've given us so much time on a really critical subject that I don't think it was burning that brightly on people's radars. Um, so I want to thank you for that and, and, and wrap things up to let you go here. Um, before I do, though, so uh, let's say there are a number of viewers here that have been watching and, and are now kind of freaked out about this, right? Um, what would your advice, if any, you know, be to those people, um, whether they're on a pension or whether they're not? You know, if they've been if they've been sort of woken up by this, do you do you have any direction for them? Yeah, well, right now, as we speak in Ohio, the Ohio Retired Teachers Association is doing a crowdfunded uh, forensic investigation fundraising. Now, hopefully, it'll be successful. We'll find out before Thanksgiving, I think. But this is a re group of thirty-eight thousand retired teachers that have gotten together and are demanding a forensic investigation of their teacher's pension fund. So that this is something that can happen in any state, in any uh, city, that people can get together and hire an expert to do a forensic investigation at low cost, maybe a couple of dollars each, if there's a group of them that are willing to do it. But the, you cannot simply sit back and expect your pension check to arrive in the mail for the next 30 years. That's not gonna happen. You need to do something. And one possibility is participating in crowdfunding a forensic investigation. Great. Um, I'm just curious, because I'm sure we've got people watching from the state of Ohio, um, if they wanna kind of lend support to that, is there a way they can do that? Yes, yeah, so you can go to the website of the, um, oh, of the Ohio Retired Teachers Association, or ORTA, it's called, and they have a fundraising uh, tool on their website, as well as they show how much money they have raised to date. So please visit their website, which I think is orta.com or orta.org. Okay, great. Um, and uh, two last questions for you. Um, the first is, uh, and I'm just looking for a super short answer here. Um, Nobody can predict the future, so I'm not trying to put that weight on you, but um, if you had to kind of estimate where we are, what inning we're in, in terms of uh, the pension, the chickens coming home to roost for the, 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 you know, the pensions of, of uh, the country, um, you know, are we still kind of in middle innings here or is it pretty late in the game? In other words, they're not gonna be able to continue um, you kicking the can further down the road given how underfunded they are. So that's, that's question number one, just give me an inning. And then the, the last question is for people that are interested in learning more about you and your work, where should they go? You know, you held up the book. If, if that's what they should do, great. If there's any other website or whatever they could go to, too, just let them let us know. Well, in terms of anybody's interested in my work, I'd suggest you pick up the book, uh, Who Stole My Pension? Um, and you can search my name on the Internet. I have a, a, a pretty broad presence. But in terms of where the uh, where we are in the game, it, it's interesting that. Robert and I wrote this book at this time. We launched the book in January of this year because this was, we are in the final innings, but we got co-opted by another crisis called COVID. So I think that, um, I think the world is, was poised to focus on pensions, the pension crisis, the demographic, issue the the aging of the world's population 
but COVID has been a major disruptor. Attention has shifted. And I do think that when we resolve the COVID crisis or when the COVID crisis uh, pandemic subsides, then I think that the issue will return to, to pensions because the demographics are so compelling. Two billion people worldwide over the age of 60 with no means of providing for the, their golden years. That's a big issue. It's not going away. It's demographics. You can't dispute it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm sure everybody watching, myself included, you know, have family members that already fall into that demographic. And, you know, it raises lots of big questions with no easy answers as how are we going to help those people make it through the rest of their, their twilight years, um, you know, given the fact that there's not a lot of support on the table to do that. So, Ted, I want to thank you so much for this. Um, I am sure that we're going to get a great response to this. Uh, I hope we can invite you on again. Uh, back uh, at some point early on in 2021, if you're game for it. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much, Ted. We'll, we'll see you again soon. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this interview with pension expert Ted Seidel. As we wrap things up here, please just take a quick second, if you haven't already, and click the red subscribe button below to subscribe to this YouTube channel. Also, make sure you hit the little bell icon right next to that red button. And if you're trying to make sense of how to invest for the coming future and would like a free, no strings attached portfolio review by Wealthion's endorsed financial advisor, we'll tell you how to do that in just a few seconds. So stick around. Thanks for watching. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we've put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.